Psalm 63, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. This is the reading of God's word. Father, we thank you so much for Psalm 63, for your word to us this morning in Christ. Father, thank you for the reminder that it gives us to find our satisfaction in you. We pray that you would help our hearts uh, to, uh, to throw off these desires that we have uh, for worldly things uh, and help us to align our desires towards you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, now we've technically wrapped up our sermon series on satisfaction and uh, we're now going to be spending two weeks in the Psalms and then we're going to uh, begin a new series uh, after that in First uh, Samuel. Uh, so we finished our satisfaction series, but I still feel like there's just a little bit more we can squeeze out of our satisfaction topic. You see, uh, over these last four weeks, we've asked the question, can blank give you satisfaction? Can purpose give you, et cetera, et cetera. Can blank give you satisfaction? But I think there's one more question that we haven't asked. It's a question that perhaps we're a bit too scared to ask. Perhaps it's, it's too confronting or, or too uncomfortable. And asking it may expose where our hearts are at. And the question is this. Does God give you satisfaction? Does God give you satisfaction? Now, we know from the last four weeks that God is the only true source of satisfaction in life. But does God give you satisfaction? Or do you find yourself unsatisfied with God. Now, if you're unsure how you might answer this question, then consider this scenario. Uh, Think back to the thing you shared with the person next to you, the thing that resonated with you most, uh, purpose, health and well-being, financial security, friends and family. Uh, Think about all the ways God has gifted you that thing. Think about about how God has blessed you, what God has given you uh, in terms of that thing. Now imagine all of it was taken away. And imagine that it was God who took it away from you. Would you struggle to feel satisfied in God? I think if we're honest with ourselves, uh, most of us would admit that we would struggle to find satisfaction in God. And I know that for many of us here, Uh, That scenario that I just described is not a scenario for you. It's actually been reality in the last few months. 
and it's been challenging uh, for you to remain satisfied in God. Now, why is it that the str- why is it that we struggle to be satisfied in God? I want to put it to you that perhaps the reason we struggle is because we value the gifts more than we value the giver. We value the gifts more than we value the giver. Now, don't get me wrong, uh, as we explored over the last few weeks uh, through Ecclesiastes, uh, we were encouraged to enjoy the gifts given to us by our Creator God, to see things like purpose and health and money and friends, not as, not as things to be gained for ourselves, but as generous gifts from God to be enjoyed. But if we're not careful, our relationship with God can begin to look less like a relationship of dependence and trust and more like a relationship of demand and consumption. In those moments when you're struggling to find satisfaction in God, then it's a good idea to turn to Psalm 63. The psalm, uh, this psalm, Psalm 63, it's a guide, a guide that teaches us how to be satisfied in God. So if you've got a Bible there, keep it open at Psalm 63, and we're going to take a look at this psalm together. Uh, Now, this sermon on Psalm 63 is actually not the first sermon in our psalm series. We began this series at the very end of last year on New Year's Eve. Uh, And in that sermon, uh, when we began talking about the psalms, I gave us five reasons for why we can turn to the psalms as a source of wisdom and reflection in our Christian lives. And so I want to briefly uh, go through them again because they will help us uh, to look at this psalm correctly. Um, So uh, these are the five reasons why we can read the psalms as a source of reflection and wisdom in our Christian lives. The psalms are written firstly from a human perspective uh, in that they contain real emotions, real experiences that humans have experienced, that humans do experience. Uh, The psalms are written to be sung, Uh, to be sung particularly by anyone who resonates with those experiences. The Psalms are written to direct our lives to their purpose of praising God. And particularly as as uh, those who sing are directed by God's righteous King. Uh, The Psalms are written to anticipate Jesus as this true righteous King, the one who will lead all of humanity to praising God. And so finally, the Psalms are written for us to sing in Christ to the praise and glory of God. And so the purpose of the Psalms is twofold. Firstly, the Psalms point us to Jesus as our true and righteous King. And secondly, the Psalms lead us to praise God with our lives. So with all of that background on the Psalms in mind, let's turn to Psalm 63 uh, and learn step by step how we can be satisfied in God. Now, if you look there at the, at the lyrics, the, the lyrics of Psalm 63, I think, can be divided into three sections. And the key to these divisions is the word soul. Do you see, do you see where the word soul appears in the Psalm? Uh, it appears in verse 1. My soul thirsts for you. It appears again in verse 5. My soul will be satisfied. 
as with fat and rich food. And it appears again in verse 8. My soul clings to you. Uh, These three verses, I think, mark out the three sections that then give us the three steps to being satisfied in God. Step one is to thirst. Step two is to feast. And then step three is to cling. As we go through this psalm, uh, we'll walk through each of these steps. But before we jump in, uh, we actually need to recognize that there's actually a step zero. Have a look with me at the beginning of the psalm. Uh, The superscription, the little bit before verse 1, identifies David, King David, as the writer of this psalm. Uh, And the setting of this psalm is his time in the wilderness of Judah. Now, what's important to note about that, about David being in the wilderness, is that uh, because he's in the wilderness, he is not in Jerusalem. Uh, He's in the wilderness, which means he's far away from the throne. He's a distant outsider who is vulnerable and lonely. You might say he's far away from all the gifts that might give him satisfaction, far away from his purpose, far away from health and well-being, from financial security, from all his friends and family. And in the midst of the wilderness, King David opens with these words in verse 1. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. Step zero to being satisfied in God is to be in covenant relationship with God. As David writes this psalm, he is in covenant relationship with God uh, as God's chosen righteous king. And you notice here in, in, in that first verse, it is because he has a relationship with God that he desires to be satisfied in God. It is because he has that relationship that he desires to be satisfied. You see, you could, you could follow all the steps of this psalm to try and find satisfaction in God. But if you're not already in covenant relationship with God, if you cannot say to God that you are my God, then this guide won't work for you. If you have no relationship with God, you will have no desire to be satisfied in God. And as we continue uh, into this psalm, we'll see how this relationship with God is crucial for the other three steps. So now let's take a look at step one, thirsting for God. Uh, Verse one continues with David expressing how his soul thirsts for God. And he likens it to how your body yearns for water in a dry desert which has no water source. Uh, Now, I'm not sure if any of you have ever experienced yearning for water in a desert. I don't, I don't know if you've spent much time in deserts. Uh, I, I haven't, but I like to imagine it's a little bit like what happens when I forget my water bottle. You know, I, I don't know if you're like this, but uh, I like to bring my drink bottle where, and whenever I go out, whenever, even if I'm just driving two minutes down the road, just do a quick, uh, a quick drive to Woolies, I need to bring my water bottle. It's like a safety net for me in case I get thirsty. 
Uh, but then I never drink it because my body knows that there's water nearby. Like it kind of lulls me into a false sense of security. But when I forget my water bottle, oh man, suddenly my body freaks out. I get super, like you know, Maggie can say this, like if, if I'm driving, I start the car, we're driving out and I go, where's my water bottle? I'm really thirsty right now. Like, <laughs> it's, it's because my, my water safety net has disappeared. Um, I, that's what I imagine being thirsty in a desert might feel like. Uh, the, 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 the point is, being thirsty in a desert is different to being thirsty normally. There's something about having your water safety net taken away that makes you thirst even more than usual. What is it that fuels this thirst for God uh, that King David expresses? Well, have a look in verse 2. Verse 2, he says, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. David here is recalling his experience of worshiping God in the tabernacle in Jerusalem. Now, imagine uh, you're King David, you're inside the sanctuary. You can see all of these great symbols of God's power and glory. You can see there the Ark of the Covenant representing God's word, his promises to Israel. Uh, you, you scan across and you see the altar where sacrifices were offered to atone for sin. Uh, you look around, you just, feel, you just feel the power and glory in this space. All the powerful visual reminders of God's steadfast love for his people. And imagine David just remembering that. And then he feels the dry desert wind on his parched lips, realizing just how far away from all of that he is. What is fueling David's thirst for God? Well, it, it, in one way, it's, it's that he feels distant from God. It feels, he feels distant from his God. Now, they say that distance makes the heart grow fonder. And I think this is certainly true for David. But the distance is fueling David's thirst only because he is in covenant relation with God in the first place. You see, David expresses that he has already beheld God's power and glory. He has seen and experienced God's steadfast love, a love which David describes is better than life. And David can say this because it is out of this love that David finds himself in covenant relation with God. It's because God has loved him him that he is in relationship with God. You see, the key to thirsting for God uh, is to behold the steadfast covenant love, which then enables you to call God your God in the first place. Yes, that feeling of distance uh, or abs- distance from or absence of God uh, may encourage your thirst, may exacerbate your thirst. But the true source of that thirst finds itself in experiencing God's love. So that's step one to being satisfied in God. To fuel your thirst for God, not not by by, walking yourself into a desert, but by beholding God's covenant love. Now, moving on to step two. How do you satisfy your thirst for God? Well, you feast. You feast. Verse 5 describes a satisfying feast 
of fat and rich food. Just think of an all-you-can-eat buffet with the best cuts of meat, the highest marbling score of Wagyu beef, you know, lobster, crab, oysters, abalone. Imagine every time you take a bite, your lips just sing joyful praises. That's what David is describing here in Psalm 63. Now, how is it that David feasts? Well, it's by remembering God. It's by remembering God. Have a look at verses 6 and 7. David explains how his soul feasts when he remembers God in his most vulnerable moments. If you think about it, you're at your most vulnerable when you lay asleep in bed at night. And that's exactly what King David describes. And what is it that David remembers about God as he lies in his sleep? Have a look there in verse 7. He remembers how God has been his help, especially in his moments of helplessness. He remembers how God has remained faithful to their covenant relationship, how God has protected and delivered David, who is God's chosen and righteous king. It is this feasting, this remembering, which satisfies David's thirsty soul. He satisfies his thirst for God's covenant love by remembering God's covenant faithfulness to him. And so that's step two to being satisfied in God. To feast by remembering God's covenant faithfulness and so satisfy your thirst for his covenant love. Now moving on to step three. Having satisfied his thirst, how does he remain satisfied? Well, he clings. Have a look there in verse 8. Having thirsted and feasted, David's soul now clings to God as God upholds him in his right hand. Because God, in his covenant faithfulness, has been his help, David can now have confidence that God will continue to be his help. In fact, his confidence is so great that in verses 9 and 10, he speaks of victory over his enemies. He speaks of a future victory with his enemies, but he speaks of it with such certainty that it's as if it has already happened. It's, it's as good as happened for King David. And such is the assurance of God's covenant love and faithfulness that David declares in verse 11 that as God's righteous king, he shall rejoice in God. And not only that, but all who swear allegiance to David as their king shall likewise rejoice too. You see, uh, this, is, this here is what it means for David's soul to cling to God. To cling to God is to have such assurance in God's covenant promises that you know that you will rejoice. Because victory over enemies is as good as one. So these are Psalm 63's three steps plus one towards being satisfied in God. Step one, thirst for God by beholding His covenant love. Step two, feast on God 
by remembering his covenant faithfulness. And step three, cling to God by rejoicing in his covenant promise of victory. Now, I could finish the sermon here. I could tell you, go, go, go out and follow these three steps that Psalm 63 gives us. And we can all go home with a simple to-do list to be satisfied with God. But there's a problem we need to wrestle with. The problem is that if we try to follow these steps on our own, we will most definitely fail. And that's because all of us are by nature subject to sin, which means all of us are going to have a problem with step zero. You see, sin is what disrupts our relationship with God uh, because it turns our longings and desires away from Him and towards other worldly idols, towards those gifts that have been given to us from the giver. In other words, sin spoils our appetite for God. It's like uh, filling up on snacks and chips before you go to an all-you-can-eat seafood buffet. In our sinfulness, we fill up on the pleasures of this world, on money, on comfort, on success, on health and well-being and family, on friends, on finding our passion and fulfilling our purpose. And in doing so, we spoil our appetite for God. And so we will fail to thirst for God because instead of beholding His covenant love, we seek worldly love from our friends and our family and our relationships. We will fail to feast on God because instead of remembering His covenant faithfulness, we will seek to help ourselves by making more money, by getting healthier and fitter, we will fail to cling to God because instead of rejoicing in His covenant promises, we will seek victory by trusting in our own efforts to find and fulfill our own purpose. So how do we overcome this problem? How do we overcome this problem? Well, we need to recognize that we can only complete step zero and be in covenant relationship with God because Jesus is God's true and righteous King. In fact, before any of us can proceed to follow those uh, steps towards satisfaction in God that Psalm 63 gives us, before any of us can do that, Jesus himself needed to walk these steps ahead of us. You see, centuries after King David... Uh, Jesus, who is a son of David, he would also find himself in the wilderness of Judah. Both, both actually, literally, like I preached on Jesus being in the wilderness a couple of weeks ago, but also metaphorically, he finds himself in the wilderness of Judah. And, and, he, and as he walks through this earth, he would be tempted by the devil to seek satisfaction for himself apart from God. But Jesus would resist the temptation to sin. Instead, as, as we read through the Gospels, as we know more about the life of Jesus, we would read that he longed for and enjoyed perfect love from his Father. 
he would remember his father's covenant faithfulness, uh, particularly in his darkest and most, most vulnerable moment, uh, on that night when he was to be betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he clung to his father as he declared on the cross, it is finished. And as he breathed his last, knowing that three days later, his father would grant him victory over the greatest enemy, victory over death. And it is in walking these steps that Jesus rejoices in the father And all those who swear by Jesus as their king will also rejoice. For Jesus' victory over death means that sin, the sin that separates us from relationship with God, has been conquered once and for all. And that victory clears the way for those of us who put our trust in Jesus. It clears the way to enter into a covenant relationship with God clears the way for us to complete step zero. You see, it is through Jesus fulfilling this psalm in his life, death, and resurrection that those who pledge themselves to him are also likewise able to sing this psalm, to walk in his steps, and ultimately to find satisfaction in God. So then how can we be satisfied in God? Well, when we sing Psalm 63 in Christ, we get a how-to guide for rehabilitating our desire for God. Step zero is already complete when we recognize that Jesus saves us from our sin, and so we can put our trust in Him. Now, if you're here this morning with us and you're not yet a Christian, then here is an invitation to you to recognize that only God can be your satisfaction in life. And for that to happen, you need Jesus to save you from your sin so that you can be reconciled in covenant relationship with God. You see, these other three steps will be ineffective for you until you put your faith in Jesus. But if you do believe in the gospel, if you have entrusted yourself to Jesus then by grace, you are in covenant relationship with God. And if you are in covenant relationship with God, then you will have a desire to be satisfied in God. Of course, there will be situations where you will struggle to be satisfied. When that happens, follow the steps of Psalm 63. Step one, thirst for God in Christ. Behold God's covenant love to you as he gives his one and only son, Jesus, that those who believe in him would know that his love is better than life because it is a love that leads to everlasting life. Step two is to feast on God in Christ. Remember God's covenant faithfulness to you in helping you at your most depraved and vulnerable, rescuing you from the darkness of your sin and bringing you into the kingdom of His Son through His death on the cross. Step three, cling to God in Christ. 
rejoice in God's promise of victory that has been won in Christ through his resurrection from the dead. Celebrate that you have been freed from the grips of sin, sin and cling to Jesus for your salvation and for your victory. You can follow these steps every time you open up God's Word. Whether it's coming to church on a Sunday and sitting on the preaching of God's Word, or when you come along to our grow groups that are starting up again this year, and you discuss God's Word with others, or when you set aside time each day to open your Bibles and to read God's Word, you can follow these steps. Whatever passage it is you're reading that day, you can ask yourself these questions. What in this passage, what can I behold of God's love to me in Jesus that helps me to fuel my thirst for God? In the passage, what do I remember of God's faithfulness to me in Jesus that helps me to feast on God? From that passage, what do I celebrate of God's victory in Jesus that helps me to cling to God? Now, friends, I guarantee you that the more you read God's Word and the more you hear the gospel afresh and the more you take these steps to thirst, feast, and cling to God, the more you will grow satisfied in Him. Let me pray for us. Oh God, you are our God, and earnestly we seek you. Thank you for your covenant love to us in Jesus. We pray that this love would fuel our thirst for you. Thank you for your covenant faithfulness to us in Jesus. We pray that as we remember the death of Jesus, we would feast on him in our hearts with thankfulness. Thank you for your covenant victory for us in Jesus. We pray that we might cling to you by rejoicing in the resurrection that is to come. Help us to cast aside the sinful desires of our flesh so that we can grow more satisfied in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.